Hey everyone, this is Jamie Bateman. Real quickly, I wanted to share with you something uh, that's been pivotal in the growth and success of my businesses, and that is my partnership with Haven Financial Services. Um, I've been working with Haven for over a year now. Christine Valdez was on episode 70 of this podcast. So go check that out if you want to hear her story. It was a fantastic personal story for sure. But Haven has been awesome. They provide me with monthly reports that are super clear and discernible. And it, that provides me with clarity and focus so that I can do what I do best, which is running my businesses, not preparing financial reports. Um, again, if you're in the market for a top-notch financial service company, uh, or if you just want to check one out, go to www.jamiebateman slash Haven and check out Haven Financial Services. Again, that's jamiebateman slash Haven. I uh, can't recommend them enough. Christine and her team have been fantastic. So I definitely recommend you check out Haven Financial Services at www.jamiebateman forward slash Haven. Let's get back to the show. To the listeners out there, you are absolutely going to love this episode. It's with James Harold Webb. Um, and we, he's got a crazy roller coaster uh, of a of a story with many many stories sprinkled throughout. Um, lots and lots of ups and downs. Uh, he started out in the medical field and then went into many different business ventures, international businesses. Um, just crazy, crazy story uh, stories and and just wild. Just, I, I really enjoyed connecting with James. Um, he even recently got into starting gyms and franchises and fitness world with, uh, Orange Theory Fitness and some other companies. And, um, you know, he's done extremely, extremely well, uh, for himself and for his family and his legacy. We talk a lot about that, but he's also gone through some real hardship in life, including divorce and then passing of his second wife, um, along with some medical challenges, personal, serious medical challenges. Um, and so he also has some, some wild international stories with uh, uh, guns being pulled on him and things like this. So you are not going to miss this one. Not going to want to miss this one for sure. Um, hopefully you're not going to miss it. And I mean, just <laughs> super, super smart guy with not a lot of, you know, kind of uh, business schooling but absolute uh wild success in business and a lot of hardship through business as well we also talked about a lot of financial struggles and uh, how his life changed many different times in kind of overnight uh, from hardship that was unpredictable so i really love this episode it's 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 great and he drops some really good knowledge and book recommendations at the end and um you're not going to want to miss this one Inspiring stories of real people overcoming incredible odds to live life to the fullest. We are all guaranteed to face hardships. How will we handle the adversity? Join us to be moved by everyday people who have turned poverty into prosperity and weakness into wealth. Be inspired as these relatable heroes get vulnerable and former counterintelligence investigator Jamie Bateman puts his interviewing skills to the test. Restore your faith in humanity as you experience true Cinderella stories of average people turning surreal struggle and deep despair into booming businesses and financial fortune. Take ownership of the life you are destined to live and turn your adversity into abundance. 
All right, here's the deal. You work hard for your money. Isn't it about time you put your money to work for you? If you are an accredited investor, check out labradorlending.com. Our Integrity Income Fund provides monthly cash flow from an investment backed by hard physical real estate. Our income fund, which is uncorrelated to publicly traded stocks and bonds, invests in first lien mortgage notes diversified by geography, property value, and borrower type. So you're not investing in one project. You're investing in a diversified portfolio of first lien mortgage notes. Our Integrity Income Fund aims to pay its investors monthly distributions at a preferred rate of return of 8% annually. Possibly the best part though, the fund showcases a short 12-month commitment. So you can invest your capital today and have access to that capital in one year. Check it out today, labradorlending.com. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the From Adversity to Abundance podcast. I am your host, Jamie Bateman, and today I'm thrilled to have on with us a special guest, James Webb. James, how are you doing today? Doing great, brother. How are you? I'm doing well. We were chatting just before this, and man, it's uh, you've got a, a wild story that we're going to only be able to unpack uh, only so much, but I'm I'm really thrilled to to find out uh, to get to know you better over this next hour, and I'm hoping we can bring some uh, some value. I know we'll bring some value to our listeners. Um, and um, so, for our listeners out there, who are you, and, and what are you what are you up to today? Oh, well, my name is James Webb. Uh, I'm a somewhat serial entrepreneur, I guess is how I describe myself, and uh, currently living half the year in Frisco, Texas, half the year in Mexico. Uh, just did three startup companies over the last year. So having fun with those. And nice. uh, just really blessed and lucky and living the dream. Yeah, it's uh, you, you rattled off a bunch of the, and we're going to get to it, but uh, the businesses you've started and sold. And uh, this is, it's, it's perfect for our audience, which is primarily uh, entrepreneurs and real estate investors. So I know you can speak to, speak to that audience very well. Um, now, Let's dive right in. You you mentioned uh, several different things that we could focus on, but let's dive right into your your backstory and uh, kind of drill down on some of the adversity that you faced. And if you would, just kind of walk us through walk us through most of your history, if you would. Yeah, I'll kind of start from the beginning. It's it's kind of cute and fun. Uh, yeah. Born to young man, born to two seventeen year old high school students. Got a little too friendly too early. <laughs> uh, somewhat homeless. We lived in a shack behind the little electrical shop that my dad was an apprentice at and grew up in the deep South Mississippi. Uh, when I was 17 years old, went to the local junior college and saw a sign one day that said, you want to be an x-ray tech, call this number. And so I did. And two years later, after two years of slave labor at the hospital, I became an x-ray technician, uh, got mar- married very young at 19 and um, continued my working at nights in the emergency room while I got my uh, bachelor's degree in the daytime. And and then, as I shared with you earlier, on a flip of a coin, decided Atlanta or Dallas, and off we went at 22 years of age to Dallas, Texas, and slept in the mall parking lot so I could figure out what the heck I'd just done. Now, what's why those two? How did you decide on those two cities? It was not hard. It was the two big cities on both sides of Laurel, Mississippi. 
Got so it. I thought the business opportunities or the career opportunities would be mm-hmm. for me. Okay. Makes a lot of sense. So the, the coin flip decided Dallas for you. And uh, so you went to Dallas and then, and what happened after yeah, the move to Dallas? Loaded up a pickup truck and a bass boat and headed to Dallas. And then uh took me about six months to settle in. I'd had jobs in x-ray tech for a while, but then I got a surprise offer to be director of radiology at one of the hospitals in Dallas um, at that point, 23 years of age, the youngest in the U.S. And this is way before the internet. So I went to school four nights a week while I worked eight to five in the daytime. I got my master's degree. Thought I was going to be a hospital administrator, had a potential offer. And then this thing called MRI came out. It was approached by a gentleman about joining them to start the, one of the first MRI companies in the U.S. And I said no at first, but after an interview in Connecticut in 130 miles an hour in a Datsun 240Z, I finally said yes. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and, uh, thus started my uh, non-clinical medical career. Okay. So now growing up, did you have, I guess you had interest in in the medical field in general? Not really. No, to tell you the truth, uh, where you come from, you're supposed to be married by the time you're 19. I had a little girlfriend and I knew that was just a career path that I'd seen somebody go through. Um, I actually went to college on a, on a music scholarship. Okay. So, um, it was not in my genes to be a medical person per se. Okay. Uh, and then the funny side story is the day I had my interview for the x-ray tech job, she dumped me. So I just continued forward <laughs> and did the two-year program. Okay. So now, okay. So you, you mentioned you were, you initially turned down the job offer and then you, then you took it. And then what happened from there? Yeah, this is in the very early stages where we're putting these 24,000 pound MRI machines or magnets, as we called them, inside trailers and rotating between hospitals. And so when I joined the company, uh, we had three routes at that time. Uh, two and a half years later, we had 53 routes hmm. around the country. We were the second biggest. Um, I, I was close to 30 years old by then. Uh, sitting in a big office space in downtown Dallas, I was vice president, had about 300 employees, and I thought hmm. I was hot, you know what, and then <laughs> got one of the big surprises of my life when the phone rang and it said, Mr. Webb, uh, the chair you're sitting in needs to be vacant. We just sold the company. And since you have no equity, you're fired. Wow. And that wasn't even a face-to-face conversation. Straight over the phone. Wow. Okay. So you're 30 years old. You get... surprise, yeah. So there was no inkling of the, the company not doing well. It sounds like it was on a growth path. Uh, and and then, so if anything, you're thinking you're riding riding the wave and everything's everything's great, right? Well, yeah, making more money than I ever made in my life with a salary. And, you know, mm-hmm. taught me one quick lesson that I realized I was just paid slave labor. Hmm. Uh, I call it a hired gun. And uh, the cute part of the story is I, I left my office and cleaned it out, went home, played golf the next day. And since I was kind of known in the industry, it was a young industry, I had a job by Monday uh, hmm. in Atlanta, Georgia. So I moved from Dallas, Texas to Atlanta, Georgia. Okay. A lesser of a role than I had, but a bigger company. So you and did get to do uh, hit both cities, <laughs> both sides of the coin, if you will. I got uh, both. Okay. So then, and how long were you in Atlanta for? Yeah, Atlanta was a tough year. I, I didn't really like the company. didn't really like my the owner of the company. Uh, to be honest, my marriage was in shambles. So we all have personal stories. Mm. Uh, and so after 18 months, um, 
I got offered a job as president of a company in South Florida. And um, I, my wife and I filed for divorce. And I took off to Boca Raton, Florida, and she went back to Mississippi with her family. And I did the best I could with a daughter to uh, see my daughter at least twice a month mm-hmm. and begin a job then in Boca Raton, Florida. Gotcha. Okay. So that's um, that's quite a, I mean, just a divorce is obviously a lot of, a lot of adversity right there that I, unfortunately a lot of people can, can relate to. Um, mm-hmm. And so and then what happened uh, once you moved to Boca Raton? Yeah, Boca was great. Um, worked for a guy named Steve Shulman. Uh, unfortunately, he just passed away two weeks ago, and I did his funeral down in Boca. Went down there to to be a part of it. Uh, great mentor. They had a physician owned company, and at that time, this thing called the Start legislation had come out, which said doctors could not have ownership in places they sent patients to. So my job was to revamp the entire company, uh, and so we ultimately rolled it into a public shell. And bought out all the doctor partners. I, I had to had to convert it from sort of a physician-owned vehicle. And now we had to survive in the the regular market against hospitals and other imaging center companies hmm. without partner physicians. Uh, and we did did quite well. And uh, I also met uh, Marcia uh, while I was in Florida, and we dated for about three years, and we were ultimately married about 1995, I think it was. Okay, you had a great um, career going. Now, so it sounds like you were starting to get involved on the uh, into the kind of the business side of things, whether you'd planned on that or not. Um, and and I know you went on to start a, a lot of different companies that were very successful. At that point, what's going through your mind with regard to, you know, business versus career? What what's happening uh, with you personally with regard to kind of where you think you're headed with your career at that point? Yeah, there's no question. I wanted to be an entrepreneur. Uh, you know, when you're president of a company that's decent size, you're making a nice living, getting good bonuses, living in South Florida. Sometimes you let things get by you. And, and I had a, a doctor approach me one day and said, hey, do you want to put a MRI system in Trinidad and Tobago? And I thought, well, the company won't do that, but I will. And so I went <laughs> to my chairman of the board and I said, I need two things from you. I need you to fire me so I can exercise my severance package. And I need you to be my first investor. And he said, okay. <laughs> so he fired me and wrote a check to be my first investor. Well, I imagine you you must have had a good relationship with him already established then. Yeah, he's um, great. So, okay, so then, and then what happened? Uh, yeah, kind of, packed up, uh, uh, headed down to Trinidad, met with the Minister of Health, tried to figure out the market, worked with this doctor, found a couple of really cool key employees, one... Uh, of all places, a master's degree in magnetic resonance physics from Canada. And he had to live in Trinidad. And I made him wow. the boss. And then uh, the um, runner-up to Miss Trinidad and Tobago became my marketing rep. Okay. He had a 24,000-pound machine and a double-wide trailer ship from Miami, Florida, on a boat and a barge all the way to Trinidad and Tobago. Set up operations and said, okay, this is good. We also did a heart catheterization lab there, uh, and then further leads led to Nicaragua. We put up a site, San Jose del, I'm sorry, and, and, and Honduras was the second one or third one, uh, the Bahamas, one back in Miami. So just kind of bouncing around, opening these centers, hiring staff, 
really uh, early days of remote working, but I was remote working. Hmm. Okay, pre-COVID. Um, so oh, yeah. <laughs> now, we're at the, what's the what's your thought though when you're starting this? Is it just one step at a time kind of thing? What's your mindset? Are you thinking I'm going to blow this up and make it huge, or this is just I don't want to have a salary anymore. I want to try something else. What's going through your mind? Yeah, I think it's it's really kind of the combination of those things. I didn't really think big picture yet. I learned that a little bit later in my career. Okay, uh, I was really focused on a few projects, trying to make income. I also wanted to make sure I paid my investors back and had a return for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it was really the the, the crazy story was Nicaragua. I, I went to Managua, Nicaragua, fifty three times over a three year period. Wow. One, building the site and two, trying to save it because I learned a lot about healthcare in some of these smaller countries. It's not like here where you got Medicare, you've got Blue Cross Blue Shield. Mm-hmm. There, most of the money was paid by the patients directly. Mm-hmm. I learned mm-hmm. doctors were not just doctors, they were also kind of their bankers. So, mm-hmm. were they going to let a patient go spend $500 on an MRI scan or were they going to let a patient spend $500 on them? So, a lot of that I had to learn about. Um, so they, did, they didn't have the, uh, what did you call it, the start uh, legislation? They did not have the start <laughs> legislation. And I literally yeah. had a meeting with about 50 doctors in a room, presented the deal to them. And at the end of the day, I had one investor. Wow. <laughs> they just they just didn't get the concept, mm-hmm. which I, is also good because, they, they you know, I, I worried that if they got it, they might have abused patients referrals. And mm-hmm. so. It was okay. So we went independent. And uh, my, my, my three quick stories about Nicaragua, which was always fun, mm-hmm. is on the, the 53rd trip, I decided to, or the 50th trip, I decided to climb a volcano for fun. And there was a little bridge wow. built out over the lava. And I climbed out over it and looked up. And all of a sudden, there was a Sandinista soldier with a gun pointed right at me. And I thought, okay, he's going to shoot me. I'm going to fall in the lava and they'll never find me. I'll be the DB Cooper of medical imaging. <laughs> and then he put his gun down and laughed. And I always say my resolve was shaken, but not gone. And my next trip, I went back and asked my lawyer, uh, who's the largest employer in the country? And he said, oh, senor, that would be the Sandinistas. And I said, the Sandinistas, that's the Oliver North stuff. That doesn't really apply anymore. And he goes, no, they control the army and the police. And so I had to ask for a meeting with the head of the medical division of the Sandinista army, <laughs> straight out of a Rambo movie. 45 minute trek into the jungle, beat on a rusty iron gate to get in. Next thing I know, I'm surrounded by guns, pushed up against the wall, gun in my rib, gun in my head. And and all I can scream is Chamorro, which is the name of the general I was trying to meet with. Uh, Seemed like a lifetime. It was probably a minute. And I met with him. Nothing came out of that. And then on the last visit, um, there was a riot in the city between the police and the taxi cab drivers and my bodyguard. And yes, sometimes I had a bodyguard, handed me a sawed off shotgun, shoved me in the back of a pickup truck. And we went right through the flames and the violence of the airport. And when I landed in Miami, I had a a little, you know, one and a half year old baby at home. And I just called my investors and said, I can't do this anymore. I'm going to sell the company. So yeah. at that point, from I mean, those are just wild stories <laughs> um, that we unfortunately just have to gloss over. But it, uh, that, that that that's crazy. So at this point, how much skin in the game do you have in 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 the company? Yeah, I've got I've got everything I had was in the company. Okay, 
I, so I literally was gone all in. a little paycheck from the company and that was it. No money in the bank, really. Gotcha. And then so you you decide that, I mean, your <laughs> your life is, is in danger at this point. And so it's just not worth it. Um, and so you, you you pull a 180 as far as the, the company goes? Well, no, I, I actually had a buyer lined up. I, I, okay. I, there was someone doing some international work. Now you're talking about you know, 15 to 20 years after MRI came out. So there were big companies out there. Uh, And and I sold, um, shut down the Nicaraguan site, just shut it down. I sold the other sites of this company, you know, probably pocketed three or $400,000 for myself. And that gave me at this point. I would be, have been um, uh, 32, probably 35 or 36. Okay. Sounds about right. Yeah, which you know that was, it was still decent money, but uh, <laughs> yeah, give me a chance to kind of regroup and rethink about what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Okay, and so what did you kind of what did you determine you wanted to do then? You know, I wanted to start another company, and so I invested with two of my friends back in Texas in a single imaging center deal. And initially, it was supposed to be mailbox money. Hey. I'll send you a check. You guys send me distributions and mm-hmm. money just kept going that way and not coming this way. So yeah, in 2001, uh, March of 2001, I packed up a uh, three-week-old baby, a three-year-old son and a supportive but somewhat disappointed wife and moved to Plano, Texas and kissed her on the cheek and said, I got to go back to work. I'll see you in four to five years. And work I did. Wow. So. Okay, so you just buckled down and and in that company that wasn't doing well at that point, is that what you're saying? We had one medical imaging clinic, so I became the manager of it. Got it. My buddy became the marketing rep for it, and my third buddy kind of handled the billing and collections. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I can, um, you know, and I know a lot of entrepreneurs can relate as far as, uh, you know, starting a company, even if it's a small company, you know, one imaging center, but, um, and then the, people it's one thing i like to talk about on this show is the fact that entrepreneurship is not it's not a straight line to success you know and uh especially starting a company can often be extremely challenging as you know um Mm -hmm. so so at that point you you you, instead of throw more money at this thing you decided to buckle down roll up your sleeves and and work really hard is that what i'm hearing it is. I mean, I didn't take a salary, so I just had that money in the bank to live on. Mm-hmm. Probably at that point was $150,000. I've been shoving money toward Dallas for probably a year. I did some mm-hmm. consulting in, back in Florida before we left. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, um, you know, we had all sorts of obstacles. Again, crazy stories. Mm-hmm. We had an imaging center. Our first one was next to a hospital connected to it, literally. I had bought the imaging center from them. That was our first project. We upgraded the machine to modern, more modern technology. Uh, and then one day, in a single day, the hospital was shut down by the FBI. They accused the hospital administration of uh, Medicare fraud. Wow. And um, we were given uh, 10 days to vacate our property because our CO was tied to their CO. Uh, okay. So you weren't technically a part of their organization, but they were. there was some... You, you were getting a lot of business from the hospital and there was some ownership crossover or something like that and no ownership connection no ownership. okay we just leased the building from them but we own got it inside. Got and it. The, okay and they had a hospital and medical office building and when the hospital mm-hmm. shut down 
our primary customer base was the doctors in the medical office building. Well, over a period of the next couple of months, they all vacated. So we were left wow. with an imaging center next to a dead hospital. We had to figure out how to it. Okay. So walk us through kind of from, from that point. I know you've done a ton of things. <laughs> um, walk us through some of the ups and downs from, from that point through today, if you would. Yeah, it, 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 it was a tough ride in those days. And we'd already opened our second and about to open our third site when that happened. Um, another crazy story that happens to you as an entrepreneur. Um, our primary lender out of uh, what's kind of called DVI, they were a, a public company that took dummies like me who didn't have any money but a lot of knowledge, they would back us. But when I say back us, they would own us, factor our receivables, mm-hmm. loan us money at a pretty good interest rate. Okay. And then they to build us up and then sell us to somebody else. That was kind of their model. Okay. And that's uh, and medical it, factoring, right? This is what that yeah. is. Okay. Medical factoring and loaning money at the same time. And they did about a billion for a year in just specific radiology transactions around the country. And, so, uh, and they, they, they build you up and then they sell you to a, they, they help, else. they help us build up. And then, you know, they got merged with somebody else to help us exit. So, and I knew all those guys over the years. So, Good guys to work with, but it was, you know, they owned you. Mm-hmm. You had to be realistic about the facts that they factored the receivables. Mm-hmm. And I pledged everything I had in my house, my cars, what little bit of money I had left over to them. Uh, and again, in one day, um, they went bankrupt because the FBI went into them and found out they were double selling papers. So they would do a deal with me, mm-hmm. it to another bank or another investment group, and then turn around mm-hmm. and sell the paper to somebody else. Wow, that's wild. Oh, you got smashed yeah. again. That's I'm in the mortgage note space, as I mentioned to you before, and you know, unfortunately, probably on a lesser scale, but we we have people in the in this space that do the same thing, you know, and it's called usually called joker brokers, where they'll take a you know, either they they may not even own the note yet, but um, sell the same note to multiple buyers. Um, so you've got to really do your due diligence on who you're who you're buying from, first of all, and then secondly, on the, the asset itself to make sure you're buying what you think you are. So, okay, yeah. so... Um, well, we recovered from that and um, came up with a business model that was unique and different and started working with that, sort of really saved the day. And over the next um, 15 years or so, we built uh, 28 medical imaging centers across the state of Texas. We got into pain management and built okay. 11, 11 surgery centers with pain management doctors. Uh, and unlike the START legislation, it didn't affect surgery centers. So you could have physician owners in surgery centers. Hmm. So we okay. about 53 pain doctors. Uh, and we're the place you hurt your back. Rather hmm. than stick a needle in it in his office, he comes to the surgery center and we put you to sleep, let it be a little more comfortable, and he sticks okay. in the back of your neck and built that business up. Uh, got into the toxicology business a little bit and built two toxicology labs. Um, just having fun growing the company. So what's your, at this point, what's your main driver? You said having fun growing the company. Is it, is it obviously you want to make money? Um, <laughs> is it financial? Is it what's kind of, uh, your, your, uh, what's drawing you to the next level at this point? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's multiple things for me. There's, there's a cute story about, a uh, there's a recording of me in high school and I, if I hadn't heard it myself, I wouldn't believe it, but they're asking questions at my church about what are you going to do after you graduate high school? And there's this little tiny voice that says, 
I'm going to change the destiny of a family. And, and that really became my my mantra with, with with the company. What I do now is trying to really change the destiny of my family. It was also about my employees. At our at our height, we probably had a thousand employees. Uh, one of my greatest claims of fame and things I love is that 13 of my employees were made millionaires because of this. Wow. That's so fantastic. Let them have ownership in the company as we grew it. And so I was motivated by that. And, mm-hmm. and, and anyone's lying if they say they're not motivated by money, too. Of course, sure. I was motivated by money. Absolutely. But, but I mean, <laughs> but you can be motivated by money and actually do good at the same time. Is that, <laughs> that was exactly believe it or not, entrepreneurship and businesses can be a force for good. Is that fair to say? That is absolutely <laughs> the truth. We always supported charities. We always did charity things with the team. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're big into that. I uh, love the team we had. It was really kind of a, probably the, the, my most favorite time in business was during those years. Okay. And then uh, I know we, we, we don't have, you know, unlimited time here, but mention some of the highlights as far as the exits that you mentioned to me before we before we hit record. Sure, we 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 uh, exited the labs first at around 2015. Um, we exited uh, the surgery centers over time because we sold those one at a time to various hospital groups for the, for the most part. Uh, but our big exit, and, and and again, we had. We we made a lot of money. I mean, I, I share these numbers, not bragging, but just factual. Mm-hmm. But you know, before we sold, if, if my distributions were probably anywhere from seven eight hundred thousand dollars a month uh, mm-hmm. from my companies, and so uh, when we sold, it was a nice deal, and we we sold to a, a strategic partner in two thousand seventeen uh, that was just getting started, but they had a lot of money and and wrote us a ninety four million dollar check. Wow. Uh, so they're now publicly <laughs> traded. They're now the second largest in the world. Uh, I okay, said on just seven to eight hundred, seven hundred thousand to eight hundred thousand dollars per month to you personally. Just, yeah. I just, and that was that went on for a few years, you said. Yeah. I mean, it increased over time, but the money started flowing in 2004. Uh, and I would say, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 were really, really, really nice years for us. I mean, and I don't mean to pry to get personal, you know, too personal. It just that's those numbers are astronomical. Uh, and and I, I know it's all relative, right? <laughs> it's nothing compared to Elon Musk, right? Or, you know, things like but But and then the exit as well, which you just kind of glossed over of 94 million. But um, that's 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 awesome. So and then. That and then you got into. I think you mentioned you got into Orange Theory and some other uh, the fitness world yeah, as well. And, and I probably should throw in the personal story if you don't mind. Yeah, kind of absolutely. Led me to the exit. So in 2011, November exactly, November 28th, I think, uh, my wife Marsha and I were flying back from Chicago, and she said, "Hey, I've got a stomach ache. Can we stop at the local urgent care center and see what's going on?" And and we did, and, and 24 hours later, we had a confirmed diagnosis of stage four pancreatic cancer. No signs, no symptoms. It came out of nowhere. Uh, and I turned the company over to my team and said, I'll see you guys in a little bit, because I had seen the images. Personally, I knew that's what I do for a living, and mm, sure. I had never seen someone that, you know, wow. that sick. That, that, that and um, we went all over the world looking for answers, but we ended up at MD Anderson in Houston. and. Uh, on May 20th of 2012, she was dismissed from the practice and 
We're driving back from Houston. I get a big knife-like pain in my back, and I think I've got a kidney stone, and I take her home, put her to bed, go to the emergency room, and I don't have a kidney stone. I've got a tumor also, and I've got renal cell carcinoma. Um, made the decision to not do chemo or radiation, just said, cut me open, take it out, anything else. I still have to get a little emotional about the story. And mm-hmm. they uh, took my right kidney tumor, a little bit of other stuff, sewed me up, and I walked out of the hospital in uh, 19 hours in against their orders uh, and went home to be with her, and she made it six more days. Um, and so I was now raising an 11-year-old child and a 14-year-old child, and my entire focus changed. And I went back to work soon thereafter, and it became an issue of setting up the company to either work without me ever again being there mm-hmm. or to exit. And mm-hmm. so that's really what drove us toward the exits. I see. Was the the health situations of... Well, the change in focus and what really became right. important to me. Sure. Well, speak to that briefly, if you would, because, you know, you were making tons of money, right? Um, But what did the money mean to you versus, you know, the personal situation? Yeah, well, I I could have kept making money. I knew a couple of things were happening. One, um, I I knew we needed to exit the company. I just knew it was time. I could see the industry changing. I could see how I was changing about Mm -hmm. things. Uh, and uh, really, it took us three years to get the exit put together, and we had to restructure the company a little bit to make it more attractive uh, to potential buyers. Mm-hmm. And so it, it was a combination of things. Mm-hmm. But I will tell you that that kind of life-changing experience just changes your focus. Doesn't mean I don't want to make money. Doesn't mean sure. I'm not an entrepreneur. Yeah. But I was ready to bank a bunch of more money so that I never, my kids never had to worry again. Mm-hmm. My grandkids don't have to worry again. And that was my primary motivation was, okay, let's bank some money now for sure. Yeah. And I think it's just, it's very important to just, this is really kind of the hits to the crux of this, of my show, frankly, is um, I I love making money. I mean, it's, it's, I don't have any issues with that at all. I think it's great, but it doesn't solve right. all of your problems either. Right. I mean, you still had real world uh, family and medical problems that we i don't want to just gloss over but it's they're you know <laughs> they were very real and um you know no no matter how much money you have in the bank it's you've still got to everyone has these problems and struggles and um that's extremely dramatic and there's not i mean there's and just there's nothing i can say to you know to express enough i guess condolence for you at that time i can't imagine what you went through at that time honestly but um, so I will what say would you, this, go, I will say this that, that life is going to happen and all these things happen. Mm-hmm. I will tell you, having money makes it easier. Okay. Yeah. It allowed for us to have better transportation to Houston. It allowed for us to stay in nice hotels. We were there. Sure. Allowed me to take care of my children and have a nanny and those kind of things. So, mm-hmm. you know, people that are rich, you're going to have some problems too. Right. Money does help make it a little easier. I've learned that. No, I think that's I, that's I completely agree with that. And 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 I I think on the you know one side of I think people use that uh, money can't buy happiness as a, as an excuse to not work hard and excuse to not pursue financial freedom. And and it, it obviously gives you options, right? It gives you control over a lot more than you would have had control of, and it gives you can alleviate some other stresses that, and then you can focus on 
what's really important. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's really good. So, um, and then kind of walk us through up until today, if you would, from the entrepreneurial standpoint. Yeah. And so that, that really gets into why we start with the orange theory fitness discussion. So, uh, I went on match.com eventually raising two boys, couldn't do the bar scene. It <laughs> has a, Nice car in a wild and lives three blocks from Jerry Jones can be susceptible to drama. <laughs> for my boys, and maybe that's male chauvinist at big and me, but I just didn't want it. And so, uh, had my what I said was my first first date in 20 years and the last first date for the rest of my life. I met Kathy about my age, she had two grown daughters too, and um, we connected, dated for about three years. And in that process of being in Florida one time on a trip. Someone said to me, have you ever heard of Orange Theory Fitness? And I kind of said those famous words, what the blankety blank is Orange Theory Fitness. <laughs> Took the class, um, liked the class, but fell in love with the trainer. Because mm. I've said over and over, she bled orange. Mm. Uh, my entrepreneurial hat goes on. <laughs> and I bought three franchises initially uh, and then ultimately bought the North Texas Territory. And over the next five years, we built uh, 33 Orange Theory Fitness gyms. Uh, Kathy wow. and I got married. Uh, she was great raising my boys. And uh, we we sold that company in December of 2019, three months before the pandemic, uh, for about $66 million. Hmm. Wow. And and why the timing of that, that exit? I mean, obviously, you didn't know the pandemic was coming, but um, <laughs> w- why'd you sell at that point? No, I, I have a five-year model now. Once once I got through the things and, and now I've had like eight exits. So the, the, the five-year model is, you know, build it, put it in infrastructure, get it going. Don't take your money off the table immediately. Roll it back into your company. And I had literally hired Fifth Thirds Bank to take us to market uh, on January of 2019. So hmm. we went to market, did the book, as you know, and, and we had seven, 70 interested parties. We had 39 letters of intent. It was nuts. It was nuts. And so it took us, you know, six months to negotiate through all that, which just dropped us into December. No clue. No clue. And it was sold to a private equity group who I'm still in touch with today. Uh, A partner I maintain the area, Rice Orange Street Fitness, so we still own the area. Hmm. And we've sold eight franchises since we sold the company uh, to other folks. And, um, you know, next year, November of 2023, my Orange Theory Fitness days are over because my area okay. rights contract expires. And so we've started some other companies. We did a, a group called Be Balance. It's a female uh, homeopathic hormone weight loss company. As lucky as we were to get out of Orange Theory pre-COVID, we were probably that unlucky to get into a retail mm. company. So I just literally two weeks ago brought in a new partner. Uh, someone that's more experienced in that space. And uh, we've got three stores open. We got there in COVID. Now we're going to, our plan was 18. So now we're back on track. Okay. Got involved with a group called Scent Hound. And they, they, they do a pet wellness, health and wellness and grooming company. Mm-hmm. Bought 10 locations in Dallas with uh, the rights for 10 more. So putting together the team for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, for fear, sound like a complete pecker head. Um, just bought a charter jet company with a jet. So that's kind of fun and learned that business. Uh, just wow. brought 15 trailers over from China for a food trailer company with another group. 
So just kind of having that love and doing the mentoring, loving doing the mm-hmm. chairman, really excited about not having to worry about whether Tom or Sally punches the clock anymore. And that's not my job. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Job is to just mentor and be there for people and guide it. So I'm really enjoying that right now. Yeah. So what does just briefly, what does kind of a your typical week look like Monday through Friday or, or even just a typical day? How, how does, what does that look like? Well, if it's today, I had a, an 8.30 meeting for a guy pitching me on a deal. I had a, a uh, 10 to just a few minutes ago board call for a, a pet toxicology company I'm involved in and on their board. Uh, now I'm doing a podcast with you. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to with you. I've got to show somebody, tour somebody through a couple of the B-Balance centers. Okay. Uh, then my son's in town. I'm going to take it for sushi tonight. So it's a lot of, nice. when I'm in town, it's a lot of meetings. And then when I'm in Cabo, it's kind of interesting because COVID really created this virtual world. I'll mm-hmm. sit on this computer for five or six or seven hours sometimes. My mm-hmm. wife busts at me, but I will. <laughs> this little business from Mexico started a property management company there with a group. So we're getting mm-hmm. that going. What, now, where does the property management company operate? They'll be based out of Cabo. Okay. Based out of San Jose del Cabo. And, you know, Cabo's market house market has just gone crazy. Mm-hmm. And we bought a house there two and a half years ago and it's doubled in value in two and a half years. Hmm. Wow. Uh, so there's a lot of need for property management. And so we're mm-hmm. putting that company together right now. We're trying to figure out the right marketing strategy. We kind of want to be American based just to kind of catch people's attention. Um, so, and, and just to be clear, you don't really have any kind of formal business training. Is that fair to say? Yeah, no, mine is all the school of hard knocks. I mean, I went to college, <laughs> but they don't yeah. teach. You know, we have a funny line in my story in my in my life where my 12-year-old son one time said, Dad, you have to stop saying they don't they didn't teach me that at Jones County Junior College. So I used to say that all the time. He said, We should turn that into a drinking game. So for fear of going to jail, I might be the only guy that did a tequila shot with his 12-year-old son. <laughs> just don't go to you know don't they teach you that Jones County Junior College. They really don't teach you this stuff. You learn it okay. through experience, through re- yeah. resilience, of getting knocked yeah. down, and back up. Yeah. Well, let's hope the statute of limitations has run out on the <laughs> tequila shot. Uh, They'd have to approve it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. So I mean, just wow. Just so many. Now looking back, if you had to, you know, you had to so much adversity what would you say just whether it's whether you're thinking about financial adversity or health and loss of loved ones or divorce what are you know one or two lessons you've learned from all of that adversity yeah yeah i think well the health one is hard to predict you know i think sure i do a lot more screening of my body now and ct scans all the time and things like that but you know on the business side i kind of wish i'd started earlier i wish i'd have jumped earlier I wish okay. I'd understand that, that it takes risk. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's plenty of sayings. That if you don't, you don't learn from successes, you learn from failures. And sure. I always say, you add to that, if you haven't failed at least three times, you're probably not trying trying hard enough. Mm-hmm. I kind of no. wish I hadn't started earlier. I really do. No, that's, that's a good one. Um, so for, for people out there, do you think everyone should be an entrepreneur? Should they have a side hustle, you know, while they're working a full-time job, if they're thinking about starting a business? I know that's kind of hard to give blanket advice to someone you don't even know, but what would you say as far as working a W-2 and starting a business at the same time or just 
ripping off the Band-Aid and, and, and jumping right in. Yeah, let me be very clear. There's nothing wrong with building a career and working mm-hmm. for a company. There's nothing wrong with that. And I've met people mm-hmm. that achieve financial dreams and security for their family. Yeah. You know, there's nothing to do that. But it is hard to go to that next level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It just sure. is. It's, it's just so important for people to understand that not everyone can be an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. But it's okay. You know, yeah. Yeah. I, I have tons of people in my life that aren't entrepreneurs that have been successful. I have tons of people in my life that have just gotten by and that's was okay. They paid sure. their bills. They have a retirement plan. Good for them. Yeah. So now, we're, and I, I just, I'll have, uh, we have some rapid fire questions, but before we get to that, um, what do you, if, put your investor hat on, not so much your business entrepreneur hat, but what do you look for in investments these days? Yeah, it's interesting. I've kind of slowed down on investments. I, I have a, my own private fund and I've done about 43 different startup investments, more angel investing. Some have worked out, a couple have worked out. I got one that's going to maybe be a grand slam. We'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've also had some that just bailed. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm at a point in my life where I'm kind of living on the money my money makes. Mm-hmm. It's kind yeah. of a nice place to be. It's a really cool place to be. So I'm, I'm much more conservative in my investment sure. right now. I'm looking more at income-producing investments. So real mm-hmm. estate is not a bad one. Sure. Uh, I, I look at other things that are income-producing, not doing as many startups anymore. Sure. I need the money working. Yeah, you need the immediate cash flow, and you don't need the risk as well. Not, not as much um, anymore, Dan. Sure. Okay. No, that makes makes a lot of sense. Um, okay. If you're if you're up for it, I'm going to fire off some uh, rapid fire questions here. Go, baby. <laughs> What's one thing that people misunderstand about you? Uh, they think I'm a dumbass redneck. <laughs> Actually, speaking of that, just mention your book, if you would. Hold yeah, it's called uh, Redneck Resilience. It's a country boy's journey to prosperity. I've got so many more stories that I didn't tell today about my life journey. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm probably, uh, well, as my Peloton title is, the luckiest redneck in the world. <laughs> nice. But I'm lucky redneck on Peloton. That's me. <laughs> I love it. That's awesome. Um, you've next question. We've already talked about this somewhat, but what would you say is one of your biggest failures? Maybe besides uh, failures or regrets, um, besides not starting uh, sooner. Anything else come to mind? Yeah, I mean, I have personal regrets. You know, I think that that are a, a bit intimate, but mm-hmm. you always regret having divorced it. You know, and. and you have a five-year-old child you have to try to see twice a month while you're traveling all over the world. And mm-hmm. so I have a lot of regrets about that. But if I hadn't done that, I would not have met Marcia. And I have tons of regrets about her leaving this world. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I question why and how. But mm-hmm. I also recognize that I wouldn't have met Kathy. So it's kind of this transition of your regret and sadness, but also I, I keep bouncing back and going, okay, let me take this thing bad. In the case of Marcia, I mean, we created probably five or six different philanthropic endeavors. Uh, we put up a scholarship fund for all her nieces and nephews. And uh, on her 10th anniversary, my sons met with all the nieces and nephews, and we just put together a scholarship fund for the nieces and nephews' children. Mm-hmm. Wow. Marcia's honor. Uh, and then we put life insurance on the boys, so when they kicked the bucket... <laughs> The educational fund will be funded again, and maybe their great grandchildren will know who Marsha Beth Fisher was. 
Wow. That's, that's phenomenal. So it sounds like you, you, you realize you can't take the good with, without the bad and, and vice versa. It's not, nothing operates in a vacuum. Um, you're going to get the bad, you're going to get the bad a bunch. And I think the difference is that ability to, to not just get back up because we're talking about getting knocked down, getting back up. It's getting knocked down, get back up and then finding a path. And in my case, mm-hmm. You know, having some really hard times and go, okay, that path didn't work. Let me try this path. Sure. Absolutely. And that maybe that's the, maybe you already gave me the answer to this question, but if you could go back and give your 18 year old self some advice, what would it be? Some advice. I will say this that relationships are key and critical and the single biggest factor in your success. Hmm. That's really good. Relationships, whether it be with your employees, whether it be with your customers, whether it be with your vendors. I have, have such good relationships. They're, they're serious and sincere relationships mm-hmm. with people that wrote me million-dollar checks just because they trusted James Webb. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, so it's, it's not just transactional and based yeah. on a contract. Mm-hmm. Um, got it. Okay, that's really good. If you could have coffee with what, any historical figure, who would it be and why? They could be. They could still be alive if if you choose that. Oh, there's a lot of lot of fun ones to talk about. Um, but I, I think really, I'm a big fan of Calvin Coolidge. And, okay. And yeah. His discussion about being omnipotent, you know, and, and I would really love to understand more about what he went through because he's not ranked as a good president, hmm. but he did some yeah. good things. And okay. it might be fun to sit with someone like that. And go, okay, you weren't well liked, but you did good. So explain that to me. Sure. That's, that's really good. Hadn't heard that. That hadn't been given that answer before. Um, normally I asked if that Elvis or something, but that's a <laughs> normally I ask something about if you're, if you were given $10 million tomorrow, what would you do with it? Maybe I should change it to 50 in your case, but <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm, I'm joking around, but um, what would you do with it? If you were just handed a huge check tomorrow, what would you do with it? Yeah. So we, we have that in place now for our current deals. And so we, we, once we pay our taxes, we've committed 10% of all the money we make goes into, we have a family foundation. So every time we make a check or a penny, 10% goes to family foundation. Um, the rest of it just goes back into the, the, the money for the family. I mean, my, my, we, we, we spend a lot of time and energy on family governance. We actually hired a company to work with us and we have okay. meetings as a family. We have, a monthly get together as a family. My children see my balance sheet once a year. Hmm. Now they have to tear it up after they see it, but we go through <laughs> it. They understand it. Yeah. Go through the estate plan. They understand it. So I don't know if I do anything like go buy a yacht or anything like that. It's just mm-hmm. put it into the family. So my, my heritage, my legacy, my children, my grandchildren. Sure. Um, I have a little more. Yeah. Curious about that. Do, do is there any, resistance or any kind of like disagreements that ever come out of the those family quarterly meetings you know i think we've had some some discussions and disagreements about certain points mm-hmm. um, but what's really been best about it is we, we have our little committees which is kind of mm-hmm. cute that we run our family almost like a business so we we have mm-hmm. the financial committee which i'm teaching and them about our business we have the yeah. philanthropy committee which runs our foundation and then we have the fun committee, which plans our yearly family hmm. retreat or vacation or time we all try to get together. That's pretty cool. I'm glad I asked that one. That's pretty. That's really neat. Um, yeah, I'm in this. I mentioned to you before. I'm in the the wealth of that Wall Street mastermind um, 
And a lot of these the things that these guys talk about are similar to what you're saying as far as just getting, you know, basing things around the family and planning and legacy and um, as opposed to, you know, IRAs, which uh, is an individual investment plan. Nothing wrong with an IRA. I'm not saying there is, but, it, you know, nowadays, at least where I am in, in Maryland, it's everything's kind of me, 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 frankly. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so I think that's, that's really good that you've established that, that structure and the, the forward looking, um, you know, planning element and, and it's all sort of based around the family. So I, personally, I really like that. Yeah. That, it's really important to me to do that. And it's, it's, I learned a, a statistic that caught my attention probably 10 years ago, which was 94% of all wealth is long lost by the third generation. And I've 80% heard of that yeah. is caused by family disagreements, not by bad investments. Hmm. And when wow. I saw that, I hired a company and said, okay, teach me how to keep my family together. Mm-hmm. The number one way to do that is philanthropy. Hmm. Okay. Number two what is company is that? Family. Yeah. What, what what company did you hire? Do you mind mentioning? Uh, they're called um, Asperia 360. They're out of Baltimore, Maryland. Okay. That's and, um, um, I'm I'm right in I'm in Baltimore County, so yeah, I'll send you the website. They're, they're a good bunch okay. of guys. They they specialize in this, and and really yeah. we started out with you know basic stuff in the beginning. We're on our sixth or seventh year with them now. Okay, we just nice. drop back. Do they just organize our family meetings? They make sure we all get on the phone once a quarter, have our discussion about our committees. So it's <laughs> new and interesting, and trying to teach my generation. And I think the yeah. the biggest challenge you have for me and for you and others is start let go because I like to be yeah. in charge. And so I'm sure. trying to try to learn how to let go, let them make decisions. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I think too, you know, timing it for when they're actually ready is, is another, you know, at least for me, a challenging thing. Um, so, um, yeah. what is, a uh, a book besides your own, what's another book you'd recommend for my audience who's entrepreneurs and real estate investors? I don't, I'm, I'm, you know, it's kind of funny. I'm not a huge reader. Okay. I wasn't someone that read the, my, my favorite book is The One Minute Manager. Okay. And, yeah. And that taught me so much about management skills as, as a young entrepreneur. Uh, don't really have one to recommend. Uh, there's a book out there for families called Buy the Milk First, which really okay. teaches the basics of family financial management. So, okay. It started accumulating money. And that applies to whether you're, building a retirement plan or whether you're trying to accumulate wealth. It's a decent little book. Okay. No, that's good. Those are two good recommendations, actually. Um, what's one question that you wish I had asked that I, I haven't asked? Anything you want to cover? No, no. Listen, this has been a fun one. I've done a few of these podcasts, and this is always yeah. fun to meet someone like you who's, who's a good guy and a cool guy and ask the right questions. Uh, no, I'm, I'm extremely excited about where this is going. I appreciate that. Um, and I know you you didn't come on to, to really plug anything. Um, hopefully our listeners will go out and buy your book. Um, I, I, I'm going to buy it. I'm going to read it. Um, Redneck Resilience. There you go. Redneck Resilience. So they can find that Amazon pretty much anywhere Amazon, else. Barnes & Noble, Books A Million. It's, it's, it's there. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Um, is there anything else you want to plug or, or mention how our listeners can can reach out to you? They want to find me, they can go to my website, jamesheraldweb.com. Yep. Easy one. On there. Um, 
I, I, I love mentoring. I'm kind of tired of getting pitched. And so, <laughs> <laughs> but how, how do you do the, do you have kind of a mentoring structure or how does that work? No, it's just been kind of fun. People will reach out. We'll connect usually through Zoom. And mm-hmm. if they're local, I'm going to get I'm helping down in Fort Worth. I literally don't even know him, but he's got a business opportunity. And so we met okay. for breakfast and now we're going to meet again in January. That's yeah, great. We're doing it. Yeah. So it sounds like it's just something where you're you're giving back. Yeah. Um, fantastic. All right. Well, James Webb, thank you so much for joining us. This has been fantastic. I really do appreciate you taking the time. Maybe you have a little more time than you had a, a few years ago, you know, during the day, but you didn't have to take uh, take this hour with us. So I, I do appreciate uh, you sharing your story and the ups and downs and personal as well as business with our audience. So thank you so much for joining us. True pleasure. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And to our listeners out there, thank you so much for for joining us and sharing your most valuable resource with us. And that is your time. Thanks, everyone. Take care. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of the From Adversity to Abundance podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. That helps others find the show, and we greatly appreciate it. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you in the next episode. Hey there, it's Jamie Bateman. Ever felt boxed in by life's challenges? Dive into my new book, From Adversity to Abundance, Inspiring Stories of Mental, Physical, and Financial Transformation, available now on Amazon. From a former bank robber's redemption to a young entrepreneur's victory over hurdles, these stories are not just inspiration. They're the roadmaps to your transformation. Whether for you or as a powerful gift to friends and family, especially those who might not tune into podcasts, this book is a beacon to a life of abundance. Ignite that inner fire and set your course to the life you've imagined. Purchase yours today on Amazon and light the path for someone you love.